It's one of those business things that I think we know in the back of our mind that it that it, it exists, but we don't really have a, a true dollar amount uh, as to how much does it really cost at our business. This is the one and only, the original podcast where you can find yours and your business's true value. You're listening to Our Value, brought to you by America's insulation source, IDI Distributors. You want to hear from the best contractors, suppliers, and consultants that dedicate themselves to more than just survival in the business world? Industry professionals that are dedicated to excellence in every aspect of their business? Our Value has them all here to share that same motivation and knowledge with you. Tune in and grow a more successful, profitable, educated, and recognized business. Listen to the Our Value podcast to become the industry leader in your market. Find your value with Our Value. Ken Allison with the R Value Podcast, and today we have a treat for you guys. In fact, we have one of the oldies but goodies. Sorry, Joe, but uh, no, not really. Not really old, but definitely really good. Uh, we have Joe Arrigo on the program today, and we are going to be talking about the top five reasons for success in the top five failures in our industry or reasons for failure. And to give you a little background on Joe, many of you may know Joe Arrigo. Uh, he's been a longtime consultant for Owens Corning. He's probably helped a thousand or so contractors, but, uh, you know, his dad was in restoration growing up, so obviously he was uh, voluntold to do construction. Then uh, 1996, he got into insulation, uh, wound up owning a company they sold in 2003. And since that time, or really since the 0405 era, he's been helping insulation contractors be better and passing knowledge along to him. Joe, welcome. Great to be here. When you got into this, what, why insulation? You know, I just really enjoyed the fact that uh, we were making a big difference in the building's performance. I was always interested in, you know, high performance home and quality of construction and saw that oftentimes, um, what goes inside the walls is sort of the unsung hero. It's not appreciated, and, but it really has a dramatic effect on not only comfort, but in my case, I was really interested in building durability. I was interested in making buildings last a long time. Uh, the occupants have you know, a, a good experience with those buildings. And so it was just something that uh, attracted me based on what I knew about building science at the time. So with all of the things that you've done over the years and the people that you've had the, you know, the pleasure of going out and working with, and in some cases, you know, the, the pains that come along with it, when you look at the uh, top five reasons for things going south or people having problems or things that just you can't allow to happen, what's your number one? You know, I have to say, number one is cash flow. It's just simply when businesses start out, you know, you start on that lean budget and you're watching every penny, you're making the purchases, you're uh, maybe doing some of the installation yourself, you're you're looking at a budget, you're selling the job, you're looking at the costs incurred, uh, if you have to pay additional labor or rent a piece of equipment, and you're really, you know, just 
on an operational limited budget. And I think the big danger happens as you start to transition into adding additional staff or crews and people, and you just don't necessarily have the, uh, you know, the awareness or the uh, ability to monitor all those jobs at that, that, very detailed level that you did when you first start. And I think that uh, not everybody has a financial background, including myself. And so you migrate away from just the financial acumen and you just start operating the business. And I, I say we, you know, we run a business, uh, which is different than managing a business. And I think the big transition and the big danger zone um, is during that time, particularly because cash flow. We're in a really unique time right now, Ken, simply because, uh, you know, most contractors across the U.S. are blessed with having more work than they know what to do with, um, but it straps their resources. We have good cash flow from the standpoint that there's lots of work to be done, but, you know, that cash flow... Um, coming in makes us want to think about how do we get bigger? Do we want to get bigger faster? Um, and what resources do we have? We're all having to pay more for labor materials, as you know, across the board of all insulation products have gone up exponentially, uh, due to shortages and, and, um, Planned availability and things like that. So Joe, yeah. you bring up a good point though. I, I, I want to stay on that for a second because, you know, you mentioned the time that we're in, but in, in terms of cash flow, if I had prepared myself with 50000 in reserves and then inflation hits and then fuel doubles in price and then labor goes up $5 an hour, that kind of makes my 50000 in reserve more like $37,000, it's, it's not going to go as far as what I'd hoped. Equipment got more. Um, you know, materials got more. So the idea that I can have this breathing room before I start collecting money now, I really don't. Yeah. That's a, that's a scary thing because as a business owner, you're, you're tempted to take the money that you have currently and invest it in additional equipment or resources. And the question is long-term, you know, will the market soften or we're going to end up purchasing equipment that doesn't have a good return on investment? Are we doing work at lower margins than we should be, which is tapping our material and labor resources and, um, you know, saying yes to everybody, because as a contractor, you know, we're always afraid if we, if we burn a bridge with a, a general contractor, uh, you know, are they going to ask us to come back and, and do the work again uh, at a later date? And I, I simply say that, you know, oftentimes contractors, uh, are doing work for, for customers without measuring, you know, what's the most profitable contractor, what's the most profitable product and how to deploy the material resources, the labor resources and the financial resources they have smartly so that they do build that business. If, if they stay on a lean budget and operate under that lean budget, even during these times, hopefully they're, they're going to build a little bit of a nest egg for when and if, the market softens or if inflation dramatically affects our operations. I think that's a real possibility moving forward that inflation is going to affect our purchasing power. And if you don't save money now in the good times, you know, it's never going to happen when, when the market goes lean. So on cash flow, what do you believe is a good position 
for someone that is you know, newer to the business, would you be trying to have two months of reserve, five months of reserve, six months of reserve? Where would you want to position yourself? I would want to ideally shoot for that six months, but you know, I think it's sort of like the Dave Ramsey, right? Rice and beans, beans and rice. You kind of got to go a little step at a time. And if you say, okay, my first goal is going to be a 30 days cash reserve, for example, um, you get a, a muscle memory with that exercise. And then all of a sudden, what seems insurmountable to have 30 day cash reserve can go into a 60 day and then 90 day or 120 day. I think 120 days is, is a minimum. Um, but it, you know, it's one step at a time. And I just say, look, you know, be conservative with your spending. And, you know, if there's any doubt, stay conservative. If you know that, um, you know, you're going to get a return on investment of, your uh, equipment and your purchases, then it makes sense to expand during this time. But all of us are constrained, particularly by labor, just simply because there aren't people necessarily, you know, looking for work right now or asking to be insulation installers or insulation professionals. Yeah. Carrots can be very expensive, you know, especially when you have to start dangling carrots in order to fulfill contracts and those contracts already have agreed pricing. So that that definitely creates some changes to your financial picture. So what's your number two? So number two for me is, is uh, you know, failure to measure. I think as we get busier and bigger and lots of, of insulation contractors, and that's a very broad category that I think we'd want to dissect a little bit more, but are you measuring productivity? Are you measuring profitability? Are you measuring accuracy of estimates? You know, just simple things like that. Um, take time, uh, and take resources. You know, uh, I think, uh, one of the, the sayings that I go back to is Stephen Covey, Stephen Covey says, you know, in God, we trust, but in all others bring data. And I think this falls into that. We need to have some data as a business owner transitioning to a manager. Um, when you're managing the business versus running the business, um, you need data. And I think the second thing, is particularly in these times when things are going so fast and there is so much work managing inventory, managing purchases, managing the human resources and the labor expenses, things like overtime is the failure to measure. Um, so that would be my number two, Ken. Well, I think, you know, it's a good point, Joe, especially that, you know, there was a time when you could really succeed in this business by accident. I, I think those times are gone. You really can't do that anymore. We work in such a fast-paced environment, you know, without being able to take, uh, you know, and balance one side against the other. In other words, your work order against your daily report of what came back, especially, you know, we have a little bit of diversity in our backgrounds, but on the spray foam side, if you don't realize you're losing money, you're losing it at a very rapid pace. You're bleeding, as I often put it. And you you can only do that for so long. And if you're not taking time to realize that you're bleeding, you might bleed out, meaning financially. So I agree. Failure to measure, uh, we're not talking about going to a job site and failing to measure. That's a whole different thing. And that gets into bidding, but failing to measure the metrics your business runs on is just 
it could easily be the number one. I, I like your number one and number two choices. What what did you put as number three? <laughs> well, your lead in was was perfect for my number three because I I said managing your inventory is insulation contractors. This is our number one biggest expense. And if you don't manage inventory, both inventory out and inventory in, you know, um, all of us are struggling with sometimes we we have to order on commercial jobs, the inventory and stock it ahead of time. These jobs are slipping because of COVID and other constraints in the construction industry. Um, you know, there's other other things that are affecting whether we can, we can perform when we think we're going to perform. And yet we still got to, you know, purchase the material, maybe inventory the material and and I think inventory management's you know way up there. What you said is huge. When you think of right now, you talk about unprecedented times. You, we talked about demand. We've talked about you know the price of labor and the price of everything. But lead times on certain products of six months. You know, so you're right. You you, you nailed it when you said on a commercial project. Uh, the lead time for mineral wools at this point, if you're doing commercial work, how are you going to, you're going to take it when it comes in. If somebody screwed up, didn't take an order and you get a phone call and they're like, Hey, you want the load now? What's your answer going to be? Yeah. Again, that's, you know, all of this is intertwined when we talk about cash flow, but, but inventory being your most expensive business asset, typically for most of us as insulation contractors, it's really important to manage that, because it affects cash flow, which affects liquidity and affects our ability to to uh, make good business decisions. So, talk about the dark side of inventory. In your years of experience, how often? Uh, maybe I'll answer ask it in a nicer way. How often do you find businesses that don't find shrinkage in their inventory? I never find businesses that don't have some shrinkage, to be honest with you. The uh, the truth is, no matter how small or how big you are, you're going to always have some shrinkage in, in, in inventory, whether it means simply that an installer you know, took uh, some bats and maybe rather than bundle them up and bringing them back, you know, put them in the dumpster. Maybe they put them in a sound wall. Uh, maybe they insulated a garage because the builder said, Hey, I wanted this garage insulated and they forget to report it back to the uh, company when they come back to the job site. But, uh, you know, it's, uh, it's a, it's a constant thing to, to manage the, uh, the balance of, of that inventory, but just because it's such a costly business asset, it's, it's critical. And a lot of, a lot of companies don't necessarily take good physical inventories on a regular basis. They'll honestly, uh, you know, maybe have, uh, whoever has a, a, a few extra hours in the day, go out and count the inventory and, you know, how accurate is it, um, and they're not necessarily future casting that inventory either to make the right purchases at the right time or sitting on them. One of the, one of the big advantages of buying through IDI is, of course, I, I try to tell those customers to not inventory a, a, a lot of materials. Use the uh, warehouse at the IDI locations across the country to hold on to that inventory so that you hold on to your cash and, and, and go more towards a just-in-time delivery model. It just allows you, particularly in these unprecedented times, to be more profitable, to not uh, you know inflate your accounts payable without uh, in, incrementally increasing your accounts receivable by, by installing it. If it's sitting in your warehouse, it's not making you money. I agree with that. And I think there's other dangers, you know, from the foam side 
I would say that a lot of people, they don't want to waste what's in the bottom of the drum, but they typically don't pour it in that day into the next one. And some of them will let drums sit around and sit around and sit around. And this ISO starts to crystallize. So say you combine 10 B sides and then 10 A sides, that gives you a day of nothing but cleaning your gun and, and being stopped and having problems because you've got bad material going through the system. It would be like telling a, a bat installer, here's 10 bags of little pieces, go put them in the wall. The guy would probably quit. But what I've found to be worse when we talk about shrinkage in, in the foam world, we have seen homes that I, I was training a guy one time and I was sitting at his dining room table with three of his salespeople. He's a pretty good sized company. And he gets a phone call and I can just hear screaming coming through the phone. And he keeps explaining, we didn't do your neighbor's house. There's no way we did your neighbor's house for half price. Oh, wait, they did it for cash. And so there's this part of your business that if you don't watch it, that shrinkage can take a very dark turn. And for every one that you find, I can pretty much guarantee there's ones that you didn't find. So that goes back to the bleeding. You, you cannot manage your business without knowing what comes back at the end of the day, what left at the beginning of the day, and really where it went. So I, I wholeheartedly agree. I, I think so far the, the first three could all be number one. What, what do you have us for? Uh, cash reserve, actually, which we've kind of talked about. But cash reserves, you know, if your business is going to slow down, you know, for several months or three months, for example, you know, how could you manage that downturn financially? What about six months? What about, you know, if there's another variant and, uh, you know, we have to deal with things over, over a year or something. So, uh, you know, material supply right now, um, is, is in short supply. So it's important that we accurately, not only bid the work, but also accurately price the work given market conditions. You know, I, I think I try to encourage the contractors that I work with to, to have a dialogue with your general contractor and saying, look, I'm, I'm having to pay a premium for my materials and my labor in today's market. And my price to you uh, reflects that. I, I understand that, that my um, products are costing more, but I'm having to pay a premium in order to one, secure the material and maintain the labor and, and, and reduce turnover. And in order to keep you on schedule, yeah, you, you are going to have to pay me more to do the work that I, that I've done, you know, maybe that was less expensive 12 months, 24 months ago on the same or similar project. But I think it's important to position that with the general contractors that, you are having to pay more for materials. You are having to pay more for labor that your overhead has increased substantially with fuel and maintenance and equipment costs. And you're accurately reflecting that. And you're actually doing them a service by helping them to stay on schedule. So I think explaining that really becomes part of the sales process because I think all too often as insulation contractors, we bid work or propose work. We don't really sell it. And there is a difference between bidding or proposing work, which is, you know, writing everything we're going to do down and how much money we would expect to receive for doing that work versus selling it, which is telling them the value that we bring to their business. I think that 
you know, cash reserves, you got me thinking when you were talking about different times, because right now for many people, you know, it's, it's winter, there are slowdowns, maybe you've got maintenance to do, but we just went through a period where we're trained almost to take what reserves we have from the previous year and invest back into the business. And so how you choose to invest, the there's a balance between what you're going to invest back into your company in order to, you know, maybe make your tax position better or just make it where you're going to be able to meet the demands that you've already got for this coming year versus the, you know, you mentioned him earlier, the Dave Ramsey effect, how much are you going to have in the emergency fund? So I, I, I think when it comes to cash reserves, I'd encourage our listeners to do an exercise, maybe involve, you know, if you have a trusted accountant or business mentor, but you know, it becomes an exercise because you got to think about, okay, if I'm well positioned, you know, uh, for an extended period in this in this current uh, market economy, but things soften, or there is the implications of rising inflation on our business. Um, when you sit down and, and do it as an exercise and think about, okay, if 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 my revenue went down, or if I couldn't get material for a so, certain amount of jobs, or I lost my biggest multifamily project for for whatever reason, right? Maybe they decide to pull the plug on that, that project for six months, you know, um, you know, maybe you are well positioned and, and you will get through the bad spell, but if you don't do this as an exercise, maybe you're lucky. If you do it as an exercise and you learn from it, you know, I think it allows us as business owners to kind of get ready for, uh, changes in the marketplace. And that's the key customers, the key businesses that are really successful have flexibility, and, um, you know, all of these things, whether it's inventory, whether it's cash flow, um, you know, and the managing the labor, all of these things are intertwined. But, you know, if you think about it as an exercise, it allows you to position your business as conditions change that your ability to adjust to those changes uh, and have good outcomes are going to be much, much better. I think that leads almost backwards to one of the points and that that is even with what you're installing just make sure you have some diversity uh, not just cash flow but if back to the commercial project I, I got to thinking about there's a Drury Suites right near the Cowboy Stadium here in Dallas and it was supposed to go up but obviously what we just went through completely pause that construction. The elevator shafts are up. There's concrete sticking in the air. There's a crane for sale sticking in the air. And if you just installed mineral wool, let's say you're a purist. If all of a sudden your lead times go from six weeks to six months, you'd better have some reserves. And you also need to have some diversity that you can move your crews to and do other things at that time. So I agree wholeheartedly, you know, maybe it's more than just financial reserves. There's got to be some wisdom reserves there for, you know, the plan B we'll call it. You're right. You're right. Particularly because the labor side of this, right. None of us want to lose the, the, those uh, key employees, the labor Amen. that install our products, because honestly, um, if they're not working every day, they're going to have to look at, 
another company or another trade uh, or another skill set. And if you lose them, it, you know, I don't, I don't think sometimes as business owners, we understand what it really costs, the time, the money, the uh, callbacks that can happen, just, just the true cost of, of training new uh, installers um, and the time that it takes to get them up to speed. I mean, it, it, it's, uh, it's one of those business things that, I think we know in the back of our mind that it that it, it exists, but we don't really have a, a true dollar amount, you know, uh, as to how much does it really cost our business to onboard a new spray foam installer, a new fiberglass bat installer, you know, a blow crew. I'm glad you brought that up. Uh, ADS did a study, and um, the study more or less said whatever you're paying someone, it's 110% of the next year's salary to replace them. And part of their equation was the fact that not every person sticks. So even though there's that before they leave time, when their production goes down, then there's that when they start, their production time is down until it comes up. There's the learning the system. There's when they finally trust you. But then if they don't work out, you're starting from zero again, back to the curve of they're not fast yet. And the truth is, say it's 110% of $50. Okay, so now we've got $105. But why spend $105 to train your competitor's employee? Because you started out by saying if they're not working. And I, my first thought was if they're not working for you. You know, it's like, so yeah, the, the, I think that's, you know, that's an interesting study that, that you're citing because, uh, you know, Wayne Sullivan who owned that business forever came from an accounting background. So I would trust that data pretty empirically just simply because coming from an accounting background, he probably has a different thought process and a very accurate measurement matrix that he put uh, time and thought into that. Yeah, it was very interesting. They broke it down by industry and, and, you know, level of position, but more or less the average was 110% of one year's salary. So that leads us to uh, number five on the dark side. So uh, what, what do you got there? So number five for me is, is job costing. And that really, when I, when I talk about job costing, I'm, I'm saying, what are my estimated costs, you know, that I, I think I'm going to incur versus what are my actual jobs costs incurred once, once the job is done, you know, this is going to be the key was I travel across the country and try and help contractors. One thing that I'll always ask them as I, as I enter their business and they start to divulge, you know, the pain points and, and, and possibilities of, of things that they identified as, as uh, opportunities that they need help or improvement on. The one thing I'll ask them is, you know, Hey, can you show me some job cost by job? And almost 100% of the time when a customer is really in trouble or a contractor is really in trouble, they don't have the answer of, Hey, I've, I've job costed by job, or I can show you what my costs are. Oh, Joe, this is such a, this is a cliff. This isn't a number five. This, you know, job costing really is number one. Um, You, you just, you can't serve pizzas unless you know how much the ingredients cost. And it's no different with us. We start talking about waste. You have, you know, I used to uh, open some restaurants and 
you know, if you don't know your food costs, you, you have no idea if you're making money. Well, in our case, you know, you've got the waste, you've got the theft, you've got different things that other industries face. But if you truly don't know what your job cost is, you don't even know if your salesman was right. You don't know if your labor numbers were right. There's there's so much. This is one I think we're going to break out into another session. Um, we'll, we'll make this uh, probably the podcast after the next one, because this even gets into, is your pricing bad? You know, if you're not job costing, how do you know if you're charging enough? And, you know, you can't live off your competitor. Your competitor might die this year. They might go bankrupt. I don't mean die as in car crash. But if if you're following, you know, quote, the lemmings into bankruptcy, then that's terrible. You have to job cost. And it is it's an iconic thing, um, one that yeah, you, you can't miss. I think we should we should probably divide you know dive into that much deeper because if you think about even just you know for example the estimator side of it um, most estimators are paid a base salary plus a commission. Well, if I'm paid a commission on every job, if I just undermeasure a couple hundred feet here or there, guess what? I'm all of a sudden I don't really have to sell because my bid is the lowest bid. Well, you if just I'm told making, me you're getting paid and I'm not. That's exactly right. The, the estimator is making more than, than the, the person that has invested, uh, you know, their livelihood to probably have their house mortgaged against the business or certainly taking all the risk as an owner. Yeah. And I could say as the owner, I'm taking the risk, but you are the risk at that yeah, point. Yeah, for sure. But <laughs> again, not knowing, you know, what estimators are the most accurate knowing which ones not only are most accurate, but which ones are the most profitable. And even, you know, we could be a great estimator, for example, maybe you're, 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 you're fantastic at retrofit, you know, reinsulation estimates and stuff and really have a high closure rate. But if I hand you a bunch of, of new construction projects, you're like, wow, I, I, I'm not sure how to estimate that. Or, you know, for example, I'll just tell you that, that I felt much more comfortable personally in single family residential construction than in light commercial or, or bigger commercial projects simply just because it takes a different level of expertise to estimate and bid that work. And boy, if you miss, you know, if, if I missed a little bit on a residential construction, it might cost me a few hundred bucks. If I miss a floor on a commercial project, you know, it could be the difference between doing it for cost and, and making a profit. Joe, I think that's another great point. We let's make uh, one of the future podcasts as well about bidding and especially commercial project bidding. Uh, one of the greatest things someone ever told me, because I always wanted to go in, you always want to win. And he said, well, what I do is I'm the last one into the room for the uh, pre-bid meeting and I'll go in and take a picture of the registry. So I remember everybody that was there. But if I see more than 10 trades bidding on what I'm bidding on, I don't even bid. He says it's almost always the, the person that missed the most wins the bid. Hopefully by now you understand the importance of job costing. There's no doubt job costing is the first key to profitability, but it's almost impossible to effectively track on a spreadsheet or in your head. This is one of the major reasons IDI made sure BitIt offered solid job costing. If you've never used it or seen it, BitIt is IDI's revolutionary bidding software built specifically for the insulation contractor. BitIt not only offers job costing, it also helps with lead 
lead follow-up, personal quotes, post-job reporting, much, much more. Visit idi-insulation.com forward slash bid it today for more information on bid its features and request a free demo custom to your business. That was the dark side. Totally get it. But Joe, what are we doing next time? Ken, next time we're going to talk about the things that help businesses with success. So we're going to be on the positive side and talk about the things that the most successful businesses do and the things that drive that success that are important to be the best of the best installation contractors. I love that, Joe. Guys, next time we'll be bringing the light instead of the dark. Definitely a podcast you don't want to miss.